Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, everybody! Before we get started today, we just wanted to alert you to an upcoming streaming event. Yes, on Friday, March 10th, the 20th anniversary of the airing of the first episode of the first season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer on the WB, we, Jenny Owen Youngs and myself, Kristen Russo, will be doing a live Buffy watch of season one, episode one. Welcome to the Hellmouth. Hooray! Yes, at 5 p.m. Pacific. 8 p.m. Eastern, so that we're lined up exactly the moment that it happened. Who knows Who knows what will become of this? What will, spirits may be invoked. Right? Seriously. Yeah. Very serious stuff. It's totally free. It is on Facebook. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash bufferingcast. All you need is access to the episode. We will see you there. We will count down. We will all press play together and, you know, have a blast. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be the best. See you there. Okay, hello and welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we're watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one by one. I am Jenny Owen Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And this week we're talking about season two, episode eight, The Dark Age. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast every week for an original song written by us recapping the Buffy episode we are discussing. The Dark Age was written by Dean Patali and Rob Des Hotel, or possibly Day Hotel, and directed by Bruce Seth Green. It originally aired on November 10th, 1997. Do you think we'll ever know how Rob's name is properly pronounced? I bet you there's a way to find out. I think. Probably somebody listening knows. I yeah, I think there's I think there's a way. So you let us know. Please. Day, what is what are the two options? Day uh, Rob Des Hotel or Rob Day Hotel? I'm gonna go with Day Hotel. My money's on Day Hotel. What about you? I like Des, like like it's short for like Desi, which is short for something even longer. Desmond. <laughs> there we go. So you, your guess is Desmond Hotel is yes. the actual last name of this person. And the place I'd like to live. This is the one where Giles' past comes back to haunt him. As a demon, he and Ethan Rain summoned sexily in their wild youth, seeks them out in Sunnydale. Wow. That's the IMDb description, except for one... One word that I added. I wonder which word you added. Yeah, it was just Sunnydale. It didn't say Sunnydale. Ah, so, mm. yeah, no. Nice edit. Yeah. I mean, I think we all know where the sexual tension award is going <laughs> this yeah. week. Yes. Is it inappropriate to just jump right just out of the gates with sexual tension? With the STA? Uh, let's go for it. It's obviously Ethan Rain and Giles. Oh, Get my a room God. to c- conduct your demonic possession you rituals. Know, like, I, I thought that we were being, like, a little silly the first time. Like, I didn't because I really did sense sexual tension. But I thought, like, you know, we were laying it on a little thicker than it was actually there. I take it all. I take all of those thoughts back. It's there. It's this real. Is, this is overt. 
Yeah. This is an overt, like, I'm not even kidding. You're looking at me like I'm saying a funny joke. No, I'm, like, I'm not. I'm with you. Their character relationship is 100% at least that Ethan Rain had a huge crush on Giles when they were younger. I'm with you. I'm 100% like, on board for the implications of some kind of Giles, Ethan right? Rain, youthful uh, entanglement. Come on. Give us the Bisexual goods. Giles. Feeling it. Right. Come on. I don't know. My whole, my, do you want to know the story that I made up? Please. Is that, so Giles and Ethan, super tight. Giles, straight. Ethan, bi, gay, what have you. Attracted to, you know, maybe just a Giles, a, a Giles. Uh, sexual? Sexual. Giles sexual? Yes, Giles sexual. Sure, sure. Um, but Ethan has a crush on Giles. They pass out and, dis- you know, they pass out and possess themselves with this demon because he does say they discovered. Uh, what is this demon's name? Igon, of Igon, course. of course. Um, that they discovered him together. It sounded to me like they discovered it, the two of them, before mm. they brought it to the group. Sexily. Sexily. And then I think that what happens here is that Giles turns Ethan down. Like, I think that Giles won't go the rest of the way, right? He's okay. like, as sexy as Giles will get is possession. That's just, Got it. It's <laughs> about as sexy as Giles will get with Ethan. And Ethan is upset, and it starts to form the core piece of Ethan that will, you know, tie Buffy to it. T- like, you know, these things that, right, that right, right, Ethan right. will do. Wow, this is quite a tale. That's what I'm, I'm convinced. I'm not even, I will hear no other stories. This, this is the one for me. This is the All truth. right. Well, so, it's good to know where you stand. That's where I stand. Anyway, congratulations to the uh, earliest winning sexual tension award. Yes. Uh, couple. Pick up your trophy at the front desk. Hiles. As soon as the episode's over. Ethan Rain. Um, wow. Great. So, yes, go ahead, Jenny. Guy with briefcase <laughs> on high school <laughs> campus at night. Also, who's that hipster janitor with the mutton chops? Right? I love the janitor. Janitor did a great job. Yeah. Um, we are not talking to the janitor in this episode, but we are going to get some time with Stuart McLean, who played Philip Henry in this episode, Ooh. and whose face, if you watch the DVDs, is the only face that shows in the like holding screen before you hit play. Oh, yeah. The still image of him with his reanimated... Open eyes, yeah. alit with the light of Igon the Demon. Yeah. Woo! And and we're very excited that Stuart was able to spend some time with us. So uh, in a little while, we'll share with you uh, part of that interview. And um, I do want to just say, I don't think we've talked about the DVD menu. We haven't talked about it one time. I don't think so. Uh, we've talked about it to each other. Yo, if you're not watching the DVDs, Particularly for season two, you're missing out on something very <laughs> special that was popular in the early 2000s, which is a CGI complicated video progression that leads you from the main menu to the episode specific menu. There's like this music that's like ding and a 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 ding and then like junk and then it like doors open and it's like and you like glide through the cemetery past this tomb and that tomb and like through the legs of the female angel statue I think and then you come to rest framed on like an antique lock that looks like only a skeleton key would fit in it and then the episode title. Uh, comes into focus <laughs> from a cloud of magical mist. It's really something. It's really I wonder special. if they're like on YouTube. If anybody's taking the time. Yeah. To... Well, you know, there's there's a lot of rumors of flying about Netflix and their um, possession. Speaking of possessions of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because we have heard many a tweet 
telling us uh, that people who have watched it on Netflix are seeing that it is leaving. And there's a panic. There is a panic, a scramble for the DVDs that are expensive because there's like a limited. I don't even know. It's just a well, whole thing. I bet they're going to do some kind of special yes. box for the 20th anniversary. Yes, exactly. Guess how many copies of the entire series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer on DVD we're going to have after that comes out. Are we going to have two? Yes. Wow. Wow. So, you know, the library in life are more important than other things in life. Okay. The library of Jenny and Kristen will be able to loan out our first set. No. No, that will become a vintage relic that we must protect. Oh, boy. Okay. So, anyhow. Anyway. Are you going to be all right? Are you going to make it? I'm going to make it. Um, somebody suggested to us on Twitter that if you can acquire a DVD player, you might be able to go to your local library and rent the DVDs so that you can watch them if you are if sad the about- scads of other Buffering the Vampire Slayer listeners go. I'm haven't not... already taken it out from right, the Right. You got to get there now. Run. Don't Just pause walk. the episode. Go, go get the DVD. Go. Shoo. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I'm not convinced that it's that it's going to go away. Yeah, we'll see. We'll I mean, see that might happens. just be the when the option is up, and then and they might be they might be toying with our emotions. They might be saying, "Well, though, the I we heard about this new podcast that's making everybody rewatch Buffy the Vampire Right, Slayer. right. Actually, I remember the point the in the X Files files when this happened with the X Files, which oh, really? ended up getting picked up again and remaining on Netflix. Oh, wow. So hopefully everything will just remain as it is. Okay. See, we have a lot of evidence that says we might still keep it there. But anyway. Anyway. Uh, what's in the briefcase, Philip? We'll never know. Like, what the fuck is in that briefcase? What even happens to that briefcase? We'll never know. Right, because the police officer later, she's like, he had one All piece of had. paper. No, he had a briefcase. It was silver, and it seemed like it had ar- yeah, an arsenal inside of it. That's peculiar. Peculiar. I think the cops are in on it. Cops are in on Igon. Sounds like a thing. I don't know. Um, uh, so he's running away, we assume, either from Deidre or from impending doom mm-hmm. that he just senses. Yeah. Uh, and he finds a door labeled classroom slash library. <laughs> I, love, I love the person in the props department that was like, eh, yeah, that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> That's good enough. And he's all bang, 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 bang. And he sees Deidre, who moves at the speed of a zombie. And yet has somehow gotten across the Atlantic Ocean. I want to know. Right? I want to know. How did that happen? Actually, someone tweeted that at us, and it made me think, you're right, Twitter. It's a great question. Great question. So many great questions. <laughs> How did this person- That's one of them. <laughs> If you ever want to tweet us questions. Maybe she immediately, like, before the decomp really kicked in. Or maybe she just, like... Oh, like, it happened on the, in the belly on of the a boat? plane or something. Why did I think she took a boat? Maybe she took a boat. <laughs> no, because decomp... Boats aren't that fast. So. Right, because she would... Yeah, but... Uh, and she got all the way to... See? Yet another California. episode. Yet another backstory episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The story of Deidre. The fuck? <laughs> What the fuck happened to Deidre? How did she get over there? Does she follow him? Was she un- in the underbelly of the plane? Like, what's happening? Right, I right, need right, to right. know. But, um... So Philip Henry's banging on that classroom slash library door, but Buffy and Giles don't hear him because Buffy is aerobicizing. Oh, if you are a child of the 90s, you know that every person in your entire orbit had one of those fucking aerobicized steps. The steppers, the little steppers with the little rubber step. mm-hmm. wrapped in a little bit of, of, of ridged rubber yeah. so that you won't lose your aerobicized footing. Yeah. Um, and she's going for it. I was so excited about this scene because I forgot all about the like the rage of aerobicizing. Right. That was a People real were so, Imagine like that. Be, it's like, you know what? We have a great invention. 
It it's is a step. A step that is one inch off the ground. <laughs> you you just put it in your house and then you pop the aerobicized DVD in and then off to town you go. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I love that Buffy was doing this because I do have to say that I remember aerobicizing in the 90s, but I remember my my like parents, my friends' parents. Like it was a mom thing. I, I, yeah. I, didn't, I, I didn't participate in aerobicizing. Did you? <laughs> Please. No aerobicizing? Uh, no. I know that you have quite a DVD collection of exercise materials, Jenny, so. Um, those did not exist in my life in the 90s. Okay. And none of them are aerobicization based. Okay. Well, so. no shame to those who aerobicize, though. No, certainly just not. not a, just not a Jenny. It's or, just not on brand for me. It's not. So. Um, also, Giles has this great line during the aerobicizing scene. I mean, <laughs> Giles just has a great everything during the aerobicizing scene. But he says, um, you know, he's like complaining about the music and he can't hear anything and he doesn't know that what he can't, he actually never knows that right. what he didn't hear was Stuart being possessed. Right. Even the police, they're not like, he was, he, was he died right outside, outside of your door. Your door. <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck, guys? Um, but but he ends his his thought, Giles does, by saying, um, you know, this music, you just keep doing what you're doing while my brain dribbles out of my ear. And I thought that was a nice little a nice little seed planted by the writing room. Right, right, um, because uh, just before or just after that, we see uh, Deidre Turn just, into blue goo. Yeah, just after that, because I have written after the quote, blue goo. <laughs> I wrote it twice because we will see it again. Um, and as and we will get to Stuart's interview, interview, but we do hear him talk a little bit about this scene and the detail that went into getting that blue goo to line up with him and Deidre. So that's fun. Then Giles has a dream. <laughs> Giles has several dreams over the course of this episode. You into those dreams, Jenny? They're great. <laughs> I mean, you talked while we were watching it about how many scenes were like easily matched up to various Freddy Krueger scenes. Oh, and there's yeah. something about the quality of those dreams that reminds me just of the sort of like that genre. Oh, like, I feel like those... Yeah, that that the dream sequences didn't remind me of the of that series, but certainly dreams. I mean well, sure, sure, sure. But like just like general horror movies made for teenagers. Yeah. Like that's exactly the, the quick sort of, cuts. Yeah. And the yeah, like yeah. uh crossfades. <laughs> and the like sort of warped look of the images and Yeah. And this is the first moment that we see the inside of Giles's house. But uh Giles is in he bed. He wakes up in a bed. He wakes up in a bed that is Giles's bed. Giles got a bed this episode. Giles also got a living room and a desk and later a kitchen, he sleeps on the floor in he has some rugs. Yeah. He no has green a door. mug yet. No fucking green mug. We're still waiting on the green mug. But it could appear at any moment. But yeah, Giles gets a whole situation. A whole thing. Congratulations, Giles. <laughs> Happy to see where you live. Um, and then right after Giles' spooky dream, we cut to <laughs> Buffy and Willow playing this game of I'd rather be anywhere but here. Um, and I bring it up mostly uh, for two reasons. One, because Gavin Rossdale gets a mention. Uh-huh. Seems like Buffy and I have the same taste in men. Oh, boy. Does anybody not have Gavin Rossdale in 1997 taste in men? I don't know. Good question. Nobody in this room, apparently. Mm-hmm. Buffy likes Gavin Rossdale. Willow probably likes Gavin Rossdale. The other part of this is that Xander strolls up. Drinking mm-hmm. a juice box. Oh, this is a wow. Thing. They, they drink juice boxes. This is not the first juice box we've seen. And I want to know if you drank juice boxes in high school. 
I sure can't remember drinking a juice box in high school. Right? I can't either, but it made me remember that when I was in high school, I ate baby food. Ew. I ate baby food. I thought it was- No offense to babies, but like- I thought it was the coolest thing. Well, it was like the applesauce baby food. You know, it was like the fruit stuff. But I would like bring my lunchbox and it would have baby food and I you loved it. You are the weirdest. I would sit. I would sit. So um, actually, funnily enough, one of my very favorite high school teachers, Mr. Heitkamp, listens to our show. Mr. Heitkamp. Mr. Heitkamp. And we we saw Mr. Heitkamp last. We were in upstate New York. And it is in my biggest baby food eating memories <laughs> take place in Mr. Heitkamp's classroom because he had <laughs> he had like a special, you, you know, probably a lot of you had this. This cool, like, cool teacher who had, like, a couch in his classroom where, like, you could hang out with your friends and, like, mm-hmm. just be yourselves. And <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's what Mr. Heitkamp had. He had a couch in the back of his room. And so instead of eating lunch in the lunchroom, a lot of us artsy kids would gather in Mr. Heitkamp's room and sort of, like, hang out on the couches um, in the little, like, nook area. Wow. And I would eat my baby food <laughs> because I was cool. I shopped at Hot Topic. Had baby food, wow. had some fangs, and wow. I went to the Salvation Army a lot. Oh boy, get over it! Yeah, good thing you had fangs to help you cut through that baby food. <laughs> good one, Jenny. Um, so anyway, so anyway. <laughs> oh, and it's another important part of this is that this um, moment between Buffy and Willow and Xander—they're discussing Giles and Giles in his past. Right, right, right. And how uptight he must have always been since the dawn of time. Yes. So uptight, his diapers were probably made of tweed. And speaking of tweed, (laughs) now is a great time for us to introduce our favorite and only Buffy Fashion Watch correspondent, Kate Leth. It's time for our friend Kate to give you the Buffy Fashion Update. Welcome back to Buffy Fashion Watch. I've returned to my tiny corner of the podcast. This episode has a couple of really great looks. Um, Notably, Willow's hair is getting cuter and more stylized by degrees, and her clothing is getting greener um, by per degree. But this is a Giles episode, and even though I rarely talk about the men's outfits in this show, Giles' hotness should be addressed, specifically his suits. Now, Buffy opens his episode with a crack about Giles being so repressed, his diapers must have been made of tweed. But I think we all know that no human being makes a tweed suit work like Anthony Stewart head. It's interesting. Um, tweed ends up as a punchline, but it's a pretty incredible and storied fabric. For instance, did you know that like tartans or family crests, specific tweed patterns belong to specific families, like even now? The heavy woven woolen fabric was particularly sought after during a time before indoor heating and was worn during golfing and hunting and other outdoor activities because it stood up to inclement weather. And even the gaudiest patterns kind of blend in with nature. It's it's a weird camouflage. (laughs) Now, tweed is a word which has several possible origins, including the mistyping of the word twill, which is, you know, a way that fabric is put together, and a river of the same name. Um, But it's divided up into many different types. Some are named for the kinds of sheep used for the wool, some for the regions of origin. Um, And then they also have styles on top of it, which you can also see in other fabrics other than tweed. Um, My personal favorite styles, Giles wears both of these at different points in time, are herringbone, which has opposing diagonal columns and is named for its resemblance to the bones of a fish, and houndstooth, which is named for its jagged diagonal points, which resemble the back teeth of hunting dogs. Both of which, when you break them down, are like pretty goth. I'm sorry, guys. I've got a need for tweed. 
Did that make you groan? I'm really sorry. Let's take a moment and step back to when Jenny Callender was teasing Giles about making him squirm. I still think about that on at least a weekly basis. Oh boy. Until next time, I'll see you at the mall. That was our friend Kate. She gave you the Buffy fashion update. Thank you, Kate. Holy shit. That is definitely one of my favorite ones of all time. We learned so much about Tweed. Yes. So much about Tweed. I love it. Also, fucking herringbone. And I just, Mm. great job all around. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know who who I do not want to thank? Who's that? I do not want to thank Jenny Callender in this episode. No. I do not. I'm not a fan of Jenny Callender in this episode. I know. It's too much. Right. Like, I know she, later, I, I recuse Later, there's her a demon. Later, because she's in possessed her body. by a demon. But let me tell you what. She's being just as fucking creepy before the demon was in her body. Well, I do really like her. Uh, I had to, like, dog ear all the pages. Yes. And then I had to underline all the passages. And then I spilled coffee all over your book. <laughs> yes. And Giles gets more and more stressed out. Because in that scenario, I'm Giles. Right. Yes, of course. And, and that's a great moment. Great great moment and then Giles has an unfortunate line (laughs) I trust I gave good squirm sick no thank you take it back and then they kiss she has so many creepy lines and then you can't kiss in school kissing in school the bell already rang what are you doing what are you possibly doing both of you get it together too sexy too sexy for school T-S-F-S (laughs) too sexy for school and then and then before they part Jenny Callender looks at Giles and says I'll see if I can make you squirm and I want to vomit on my shoes I don't like it I don't like it I don't like it it's too much for me I'm overwhelmed and let's be clear female sexuality feeling it totally so great. Yeah. Not like that. It's just. It's not right. Too much. <laughs> Be cool, Jenny. You clearly have it. And this is, I mean, maybe this is a personal taste because, you know, Kate Kate made mention of, of like, sounding maybe a bit, ver- like, kerfluffled by Jenny Callender. So, and I couldn't tell if. Different that, strokes. If she was into it or not into it completely. But I, to me. I like the guy that looks in the other direction. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's sexy to me. Remember when she was disinterested? Mm. Yeah, got those great. Got those cigarettes rolled up in your shirt sleeve. Uh huh. uh -huh. (laughs) Standing at the corner. Yeah. Maybe you're into me. Maybe you're not. Maybe the dust is blowing in the wind. What? I don't know. I I I I think I fell into dirty dancing. Uh I I said cigarettes in an arm, and then I started thinking about Patrick Swayze, and then there I was. Oh sure. With dust in the wind. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway, right. If listen, don't we don't mean to yuck anybody else's yum. Totally. We're just telling you what our yum is not and it's yes. Jenny Calendar being super aggressive. Very aggressive. I was more afraid of Jenny Calendar in the hallway of the school than I was when she was possessed by the demon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Talk. Um so then Cordelia. Oh my god. Cordelia comes in. Uh Cordelia will certainly get her jingle but not yet. She has a moment when she earns it for me outright. And I will tell you what it was oh, when we yeah. get there. Um, but she has a great moment. She comes in, talks to the cops. 
wants to get <laughs> wants to get her fucking ticket. And my While ma- they're interviewing Giles about a homicide, could they take care of this parking ticket she has? Yes, totally please. bogus. And then and then she just has this great moment where she's like, "Why is everyone always screaming my name? I can take a hint." <laughs> <laughs> but wait, what's the hint? Really good. Love you. Love you, Cordelia. I don't know if you knew that, but I love you. And then it's off to the morgue to ID a dead body. Hooray! I have questions. Yes. Philip Henry's dead body is covered in... Bruises. Purple bruises. And I want to know, I know somebody out there works in a morgue. I want to know, is that a common uh, post-mortem? Is that... Post-mortem, yeah. post-mortem after death. Mm. Wait, isn't postum? Oh boy! Listen, it doesn't matter. After <laughs> you die, is your body covered in bruises? I need to know. <laughs> Jenny needs to know. A new segment. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny needs to know. Um, right, and so yeah, he's covered in bruises. Giles IDs his body. Um, right, that's what happens here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's yeah, like, yo, Giles, that's Philip Henry. No, yeah. I've never seen that tattoo before. Yeah, said in a detective, way. <laughs> detective is like, um, I think you're lying. Is that her name, Detective Detective? It is now. <laughs> By the way, I love Detective Detective so much that I made Jenny look up Detective Detective and who she was. And it turns out that her name is Carlise, spelled like you leased a car. Yeah. C-A-R-L-E-A-S-E. Carlise, Carlise. Burke. Carly's birth. Uh, portraying Detective Winslow, not Detective Detective, uh, as I had hoped. But like Detective Detective, it's stuck. It's with me. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so right. So, so Giles is at the morgue, um, and then we cut to Buffy because what we haven't talked about yet is that it's blood transfusion night at the hospital or whatever the fuck. Everybody knows it's delivery night. (laughs) Everybody knows. So, yeah, and so, but Giles is late, and that's like the big deal. But you want to know something else? I love. Is vampires undercover? <laughs> I love. Hello, just two doctors ready to accept your blood delivery. I Trust like, us. I just love like thinking about them being like, I, "What is it? What do you think a doctor says?" I don't know, man. Like, blah blah blah. Like, just like <laughs> being really worried that like maybe they're gonna fuck it up by not being convincing enough as doctors. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But they were convincing enough. I I feel like. The, probably the guy who delivers the blood should probably know by now. Like, you know, Sunnydale seems a little bit privy to the fact that there are vampires and demons around. You'd think that yeah. this guy would know. Maybe he's just trying to do his job. And or maybe paid, it's an man. inside job. Maybe. Maybe it's a fucking so inside job. they get the cooler of blood, mm-hmm. up pulls the uh, getaway convertible from behind, in, like in the shadows by yes. the dumpster. Yes. And uh, then one of the the fake doc vampires like bites into a bag, and somebody's like, "No sampling the product." Yeah. Introducing what I believe is the first drug reference in mm. the episode, but not the last. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so this, I have another question yes. or series of questions. Yes, Jenny needs to know how much blood do vampires does need to survive? Chuck, chuck how much blood, blood does a blood chuck chuck if a blood chuck does chuck blood? <laughs> and why do some vampires want? To drink donated blood, is it purified in some way that like oh, makes it sort of taste different? Um, Angel's the only vampire I can think of who wouldn't just go out and uh, eat some people. Yeah, and also, where does Angel get his blood? Like, he seems like he's. You know what? I bet you Angel is like, sure, I'll take care of it and take some <laughs> of the fucking blood. Where else is he getting his blood from? Um. Do we learn? Oh, I think we do learn later. Yeah. Okay, fine. So. Fine. 
Moving. Fine, fine, fine. Right Moving right along. How about Buffy's fighting the vampire? She's up like on the hood of the convertible. Yeah. And then she almost takes Angel. And then she's like, Angel! And all the other vampires that she's fighting politely pause so she can <laughs> recognize Angel and Angel can recognize her. And then Angel's like, look out! And then he proceeds to jump on top of the roof of the car. Or the hood of the car, I should yeah. say, and then leap like twenty feet forward to where the imminent threat is. Like also, he, he tackles the vampire that's farthest away from Buffy after yelling "Look out!" Also, to end this beautiful tale that you have started, mm. Buffy stakes two vampires. Guess what happens to the one that Angel was in charge of? He gets <laughs> in the car and he drives away. Speaking of inside jobs, what the fuck you doing, Angel? You had one vamp to kill. You're making a big <laughs> show. He just wanted to be. He just wanted to see Buffy. He didn't fucking Aww. care. Just let us see Buffy. Everybody knows Have it's make eyes at Buffy. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. My my note was Buffy slays two Angel Angel Zero. What the fuck? It's a rough score. Um, okay, so Buffy then is like, I'm concerned about Giles. I got to go to his house. And we're like, yay, yeah. this is the first time Buffy's gone to Giles' house. Yo, and guess who looks like an ashtray? Yeah, the, the first time we watched the scene, Jenny was like, wow, Giles, you really grew that beard Yeah, quick. Giles, looking drunk, loose tie, sudden case of beard. <laughs> Why and how? Oh, I, I just drank half a bottle of whiskey and it made my beard grow. Yeah, that's what you've... I, maybe you've never drank a half a bottle of whiskey. Oh, Jenny. I have. Believe me. No. I've put in my best efforts. No beard for you? No beard. <laughs> yet. Um, but I do want to say that... So so Giles is like, get the fuck out of it. Giles' whole energy towards Buffy for most of this episode is go away. Yeah. And that's very upsetting. Go to... away, mom. Yeah, right? Yeah. Just... Some real role reversal. Yeah, big role reversal in this episode. Uh We'll get to that last scene. Don't worry. We'll get there. Um, but Anthony Head's, uh, Anthony Stewart Head's acting is incredible in this little scene where he, like, takes a sip of whiskey. He just, like, and then he, like, puts his, he, like, puts his hand, his head in his hand, but he does it, like, very quickly and suddenly. It's just, it's very powerful. Yeah. His acting. And then he goes over to the mirror and it's, <laughs> yeah, then your favorite That's moment. a little sillier. But, That's a little but sillier. the at the desk, like, uh, just after he, like, crosses the name. Yeah. Also, his list of names is clearly for us. Right. <laughs> oh, I've got, there's five of us. <laughs> Giles, he really has to keep track. He's like, well. And like, like last names. Yeah. Like, <laughs> good call. <laughs> so then right before the uh, commercial break, if you will, we cut to the morgue where we see. Oh, shit. Philip Henry. Reanimated. Read the fuck animated with some cat eyes or some shit. Uh, and I think this noise. is a great, this is probably a great time for us to learn some more about Philip Henry and the guy behind Philip Henry, Stuart McLean. Hooray! So the first thing that we talked to Stuart about was his experience of shooting this episode of Buffy and what it was like for him personally. Here's some of what he had to share with us. This is one of the shoots that I think most fondly of is the Buffy shoot because it did pay an awful lot of money. That was one reason I thought <laughs> fondly of it. But also, um, just it was just uh, such an easy shoot. And really, actually, even from the point of view of, like, not a lot of pressure on me because most of the time... I was a zombie, so I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of lines to learn, you know, or anything like that. It was just right, kind right. of like, 
Um, and it was kind of it was kind of fun. I remember on this shoot at that time, my main my main drive, my only drive at that time, was a um, uh, 1967 convertible Mustang. And um, my girlfriend came on the set one time, and she took photos of me in like full costume and makeup. You know, some piece bits of me rotting off my face and everything, driving my Mustang. So I thought that oh my was. God. Wow! Them. Wow! You don't happen to still have those photos, do you? Those would be uh, probably, incredible. Probably, yeah. They're they're around somewhere. I, I oh well, if you find them, please send them to us. Uh, our our listeners would love to see those. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take a look because uh, awesome. I'd like to, I'd like to find them. Now that I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, I love that car. You know. <laughs> Stuart, could you tell us a little bit about the audition process? It was a studio in Culver City where they shoot mm-hmm. the main sets. I went in and they asked me, the director was there. One part of the audition was that he wanted to see me, um, how I would behave as a zombie. Yes. <laughs> so I had to do my best zombie walk and zombie look. And uh, I think I think that's what uh, that's what sold them on it. So you have a very convincing zombie walk for sure. Oh, good. Well, thank you very much. Yes. I've, uh, yeah. I, well, and, and, and who knew that there would be so many opportunities for it in the future? You know, because right. uh, just about every other show these days is a zombie show. So that's Isn't really it? fantastic. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> At least they didn't tell you. At least they didn't ask you to turn into goo. That would have probably been a little bit more difficult. For yeah, you. it was the first. That was the first and only time I've been killed by turning to blue goo. But I have, <laughs> I've been killed a lot of funny ways. I'll tell you. I, I got killed once by uh, telepaths on uh, Babylon Five. Telepaths what? killed me by basically throwing things at me through the air, pipes wow. and, and chairs and such. Oh my so god. That, yeah. So I've been killed a lot of ways. You know. That's kind <laughs> of the. Pretty much my career is getting killed at some point. (laughs) We did something fun for this interview. We asked our listeners, that's you, on Facebook and Twitter for questions to ask Stuart. And here's what he had to say in response to a couple of those listener questions. So, Stuart, on Twitter, Clarissa asks, how long did it take to do your makeup? I was in makeup probably, it depends, I mean, on which day. But um, as they sort of rotted me through... It took um, took a few hours to put the, to apply the makeup, and particularly the scene where I was um, in the the morgue scene because I had to do the full body right. for that. Um, and then, but that's one of the reasons I got paid so well in this show because I had forced turnarounds all the time because I had to kind of be back at like you know five a.m. for makeup. Um, uh. And so you know, I, if we were shooting in the evening or whatever, then I'd end up you know having. A, what they call a forced turnaround, which is like less than eight hours between, I think it's eight hours between sort of oh, like wow. leaving the set and having to be back on it. So, oh yes, and of course we forgot all about the Mark of Igon. The Mark of Igon yes. is uh, that was uh, another bit of the makeup, wasn't it? Yeah, I like that thing. I wanted to actually get it, you know, permanently tattooed onto me. I thought it was pretty oh. cool. But then, what if you know, like, what yeah. if that Mark actually invited a yeah. demon? Yeah, to yeah. Occupy you can't. You- I didn't do it, so. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you can't be too careful about these things. (laughs) We have another question from a listener. Uh, Leah on Facebook wanted to know, what's it like to go onto a show with an established bonded cast in a one-off role where you ultimately, of course, get turned into goo? Well, you know, with um, the kind of career that I've had, that's pretty much what I'm doing all the time. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always, I'm always, and and getting onto a show that's kind of been running for a while. I was on ER for about 
three seasons kind of intermittently on ER. I was the x-ray guy on that. And, mm. um, and you know, it's always, when a show's kind of really cranking along, it's kind of a little bit like jumping onto a moving train, you know, mm-hmm. um, because people are so good and so adept and, and so not nervous and all that kind of stuff. Because, of course, they've been there for like weeks and weeks and weeks. And eventually right. you know, everybody gets nervous first time on a set, first time you go on a stage, whatever. You're, you're, there's always a, a nerve factor. Um, i got to say, the Buffy gang, it was a really fun gang, you know, and they were very welcoming. They are, pretty much all shows are very welcoming, you know, the, the good ones, because everybody's happy to be on them and everybody's kind of on a high from you know, creating this thing, and uh, Buffy was a really good show. It was, uh, you know, it was just a fun show to shoot, and it was fun to be in the company of those people who were kind of like, I think it was a, that was the second season, and, you know, so they were really kind of, they didn't quite know, but it was probably like hitting the height of its popularity at that time. Right, and, right, um, totally. Do you have any stories in particular that you remember as like the stick-out story when you were on set in that role? On this show, I mean, I got to say, it's the first time you know, I've ever been in a morgue drawer, you know? Ooh, um, oh, yeah, that seems, that does that, not seem fun. That was pretty creepy, I have to say. That was that was very creepy, uh, just to kind of like be slid in, in and out of that thing over and over again. Um, oh, man. You know, the being in the cage thing, you know, when I was kind of trapped in the cage. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're all having a discussion about me while I'm inside that cage, kind of growling <laughs> in the background. Right, and, uh, right, right. And, um, you know, and of course the fight scene. The fight scene was uh, quite, um, you know, uh, because, of course, you're all padded up. You know, you have your pads on underneath your clothing and all that kind of stuff. Really? Um, yeah, because you're doing it over and over again. So right. it's not like it would be so bad to, like, hit the ground once or twice. Or, but, you know, you're doing it, like, 10, 15, 20 times maybe, you know. Wow. Um, because they're shooting it from one side, then the other side, and, mm-hmm. the, you know, and then a little bit of it. And, you know, and then they're doing a close-up here. And the blue goo thing, I think they had to... I, I can't remember how they did that. I'm trying to think. But there was a lot of, like, special photography to kind of, like, set that up. Because when I got f- touched with her blue goo, we were, like, laying on the ground forever. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Me and uh, and uh, Deirdre. <laughs> Me and Deirdre right. were, like, laying on the ground, you know. Um, remember, this is, you're talking about, you know, there were barely computers then. You know, right, right, I th- right. I think, right, I, right. I, think I, I might have got my first, you know, cell phone <laughs> at, at that point. Yeah, I think I yeah. Yeah, pretty much had my cell phone because I had my cell phone when I got my, you know, 67 convertible Mustang. So I had the cell phone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big, big brick of a thing. You know what I mean? I remember when I first got, I was driving up Pacific Coast Highway and I had and I called somebody and it was like you know, in, in crazily expensive. But I called somebody in Britain because I just wanted to gloat. You know, and I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm driving my convertible up Pacific Coast Highway. How's it going? You know, it's like... <laughs> Stuart, where can people find you and your work on the internet? Well, on Twitter, I'm Sir Stuart. I'm at Sir Stuart McLean. Um, Great. I, I, gave, I gave myself a knighthood for that particular... Um, uh, After so many deaths, go. I think you've earned it. Yeah, exactly. And also, uh, I have a film coming up uh, in April. Uh, it's premiering at the uh, Phoenix Film Festival. And oh, it's wow. called The Midnighters. 
Midnighters. Okay, we'll be on the lookout for for that. Yeah, that's I, premiering at the Phoenix Film Festival. You at the said? Phoenix Film Festival, uh, April. I think it is April seventh, eighth, and ninth. Great. Oh, perfect. That's it. that'll be soon. Soon Not after as this. screens. Yeah. Screens Great. at the festival. I mean. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. Um, our listeners are going to be so excited to get to hear a little bit of behind the scenes from you and just to get to hear about you in general. So we so appreciate it. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. Wonderful. I'm so glad you helped me relive my Buffy my Buffy days. It was great. <laughs> yes. Of course. Anytime. We will always help you relive, <laughs> relive your Buffy days. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Wow, thank you again to Stuart McLean. That was so wonderful to get the chance to talk to you. And we will be posting on our social accounts some of those pictures that Stuart did, in fact, send to us of him in his zombie makeup in that convertible. Oh, my God. You know what just occurred to me? What? The vampire was in a convertible, and Stuart was on set in a convertible. There were a lot of convertibles. A lot of convertibles. Very Hollywood that day. That day, because it takes one day to shoot an episode. <laughs> I'm really um, good at TV. Also, mm-hmm. I've got one more question. Do morgue people, yes. morgue employees, regularly check? They, it's like the sheet that's on the back of the bathroom door at yeah. the gas station bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like 2 p.m., all the dead people were here. <laughs> right, right, right. 4 p.m. And and if so, if there is such a checklist and that's common morgue procedure, how frequent is it? And what's the accountability? And what's the occurrence Can of bodies please going missing? write my wife. Please. Please write my wife. Not to be confused with Cameron and Rhea. Take my wife. Television show, Take My Wife. Please write my wife and let her know all about her morgue queries. Um, so it's just I feel like this episode raises more questions raise, than it answers. Would you say it raises morgue questions? <laughs> I would have said that if I thought of it fast enough. <laughs> ah, uh, great. Um, so then we go. We, we've forgotten a very important subplot of this episode, which is that Xander School on not, Saturday. Yeah, Xander and Cordelia are bad at computers, and Willow is good at computers. And apparently, <laughs> they are the only three people who have either uh, any relationship to computers or whatsoever. Deficiency in computers. Everybody else is right in the middle. Yep. Everyone else is just average. Um, and so they are in school on a Saturday. Very breakfast club. Very, it's a very oh, breakfast yeah. club episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so the, the real reason that I bring that up is because we're in school. It's a Saturday. Cordelia is wearing a shirt that Kate did not mention, so I shall. It is white. It has a off-center, and maybe you want to call it an asymmetrical neckline. Yes. Um, and I'm into it, and I'm into you. Still not time for your jingle, though, but I'm into you, Cordelia. 
You know what else this scene gives us? Hmm. Uh, the sentence fragment, my uncle Rory was the stodgiest taxidermist <laughs> from Xander. And I just want to say, I love that sentence fragment. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. Not to bring us right back to Cordelia, but she does have a great line when she interjects after they've all been trying to figure out what's wrong with Giles to say, <laughs> no, he seemed perfectly normal yesterday when he was talking to the police. About a homicide. <laughs> well, she doesn't say about a homicide at first. They have to pull it out right, of her. Right, right, right. But, you know, she's just she's just Cordelia. What are you going to do? She's just being her. So Buffy's like, yo, Jenny, you're the girlfriend. He won't talk to me. Figure it out. And Jenny is very, like, on their level. Did you have teachers like that who were like, one oh, of the gang. yeah. A little too much part of the gang. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Jenny Callender is totally that teacher. Jenny Callender had that Her. moment with Cordelia, like, way back when, when they, like, both almost got killed by the monster, the three-headed slurpy monster at the end of season <laughs> one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where she was like, ah, oh, can't even believe the stands in your clothes. And, like, Jenny right, was, like, rolling right. her eyes. But she's, like, very much on the student level. She's, like, the, the young, hip teacher. Yes. Anyway, I'm going on for too long. Um, Never too long. Buffy goes to the library. And we see mm -hmm. a nape of a neck that I'd recognize anywhere. <laughs> and happens to be attached to none other than Ethan Rain. Ah, uh, back Back in our lives, back in, in our hearts. In top form. Sassier than he was on Halloween. Yeah, even. yeah. Yeah, he's getting he's getting stronger and stronger. Also, the fucking library is huge. It's really big. We saw way more of the library today than we saw. Yeah. Than we have seen. Yeah, yeah. There's we, like a we've set seen of double the doors. Back section. He tries to throw a thing on Buffy. Yep, yep, yep. Buffy's what? like, quit it. And they have a great, I really love. Yeah, I'd like to see a spinoff series. Right? Ethan Around. <laughs> oh, wait, is that the actual name of the Horse and Around spinoff that they try to make in BoJack Horseman? Oh, because the guy's name is Ethan? Yeah. yeah. Carry on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would also like to see that spinoff. Um, so Ethan Rain is in the library. Oh, my God. Buffy grabs him. And then he's like, Giles was my friend. And I wanted to have sex with him. And he turned me down. But he doesn't say that. He does not say it's that. It's important to include that he didn't say that. But he did with his eyes. Okay. Uh, anyway, and Buffy calls Giles and is like, Giles, I've got your buddy here. And Giles is like, he is very dangerous. As Giles, like, smokes a cigarette and drinks seven different cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they think they think it's just a trio here, Ethan and Giles and Buffy. But no, in comes Zombie Man, yes. Philip Henry. In busts Philip through the window. A lot of windows getting yeah. decimated in, in this episode. Yeah, yeah, a lot of. And then and then in come the Scoobies. It's a whole hullabaloo. Giles kicks Ethan. My f my favorite. Um, my favorite moment. No, sorry, it's not my favorite moment. Second my favorite, favorite moment. moment. Second favorite moment. Right, uh, Cordelia kicks Ethan. Wait, Ethan? Is that who she kicks? Yeah, she kicks Ethan. Right. Oh, another great combo. Uh, Cordelia and Ethan. Uh -huh, uh -huh. They would. I would love to watch them have a cup of coffee together. Yeah, or like go shopping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good call. Uh, is that a? St are you stereotyping Ethan because he's a gay man? In my analysis, <laughs> <laughs> no. I just like he's very. They're both just very uh, forward, and I feel mm -hmm. like clothes is the yes. department where I've seen Cordelia have the most to say, uh -huh. and it just seems natural. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So a whole Giles apparently lives very close to school because Giles is like, oh no. I, I hear trouble and uh, and then busts in through the library the doors, doors later. the other double doors and there's a whole big fight um, which we heard Stuart talk a little bit about the fight right, scene right. he goes in the cage he busts out of the cage 
Buffy like kicks him in the throat or something, and then he like falls down and turns into goo. But the Jenny door, Calendar's already the unconscious. door knocks Jenny Calendar out. Is that what happens? The door hits her. I didn't understand how she got knocked out. Who but, can keep track? Right. She gets knocked out. Ethan Rain runs away. The uh, Philip Henry turns to blue goo. The blue goo touches Jenny, and then Jenny hugs Giles, and then she opens her eyes, and she is possessed. By the spirit. And only we know that. Yes, Jenny. I was further disturbed by post-knockout Jenny being like extreme bedroom Jenny. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) there is no, uh, like the way that she says promise. The way that she says what? Promise. Promise. Where he's like, lean on me. And she's like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) And then he's like, everything's all right now. And she's like, promise and he's like yeah little yeah. does he know that that's not something he She's can a... promise right and so on um so right so then we then we come back and well yeah and buffy's all like what wtf buffy? is going yeah. on and giles is all like stay out of it and buffy's all like avengers assemble and then she's like willow here's your task and then she's like xander here's your task and then here is the moment <laughs> And then my sweet Cordelia hops off of her perch and smiles, the best smile I've ever seen her do to this day. What about me, Buffy? Yeah. I'm ready for my assignment. I'm one of the gang. And she says, what about me? I care about Giles, and I just want to kiss her face all around her face, not even in a sexy way. I just want to kiss her all over her face because I love her so much. You're okay with it. Okay. It's great. Okay. Cordelia, I love you. Here is your jingle. Cordelia, I love you, Cordelia. You're perfect, Cordelia. Ah, yes. We've said it before, and we'll say it again. If you want to wake up to the dulcet tones of me singing about Cordelia... You can go on your iPhone, go into the uh, iTunes store, and uh, search for Cordelia, and you'll find it as a ringtone. You're welcome. You will find it there. Um, So now we're at Giles' house, right? Yeah, we're cutting back and forth between uh, Giles' house and the Scoobies doing research. Yeah, and at Giles' house, we learn that um, Igon knows how phones work. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was interesting. That well, Igon was uh, occupying their bodies, you know, 20 years prior just, or whatever. Like, taking notes. Like, probably. Oh, just like, this goes just like uh, the Inca mummy princess. Right. So, so you know, Jenny is, as we know, possessed. And um, the Scoobies are figuring this out. Right. They're slowly putting the pieces together. After they get over the small speed bump of that classic Egyptian Etruscan mix up. They put it together pretty quick. Yeah. How could Willow have been so silly? Oh, God. Foolish Willow. Um, but this is where this is where we go into Freddy Krueger territory and hard. This yeah. was, like, to date, this episode is, like, a parallel. If I had more time on my hands, I would do a side-by-side comparison of three things. And I'm going to talk about all three of them now, even though they happen as the episode goes on. 
First of all, right when Jenny, and this is great, when, you know, once Jenny starts really speaking as Igon, I mean, I guess she's been speaking as Igon the whole time, but when it notably shifts is when she kind of stands up and she's like, oh, it's not right. It's not proper. It's just like, you know, and she's, she's mimicking Giles, she's mimicking Ripper, right, of olden days. We learn a little bit that like, even though Giles was um, involved in magics, um, it sounds like he was still kind of cautious and hesitant, always his nature. Uh, then, then Igon says, you're like a woman ripper. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what that is, Jenny, but that is the patriarchy. Oh my God. Of course it is the patriarchy. Do, could you say it right? The patriarchy. You have one job. With I, the patriarchy. I just have one, one job. job. No, with the patriarchy. Oh, specifically, oh, oh, oh. To say it right. Oh. <laughs> and uproot it. That's all. Oh, two uh, jobs. <laughs> anyway. Um, then. Jenny shifts, and it's a close-up on her face, and her face, the way that her face is even done is very Freddy Krueger-like, um, and and her voice changes, and she's like, under your skin, <laughs> uh, and then makes a joke. This is the first Freddy moment. She says, was it good for you? <laughs> makes that, like, silly, sexy joke, because th- that's Freddy Krueger's entire personality is, like, those s- stupid jokes where you're uh-huh. like, I get it, Freddy. God, just kill me already. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then... Buffy comes in and is like, fuck this noise. I've said fuck so many times. I'm sorry for people who listen with their families. I got I to gotta, really got to rein it in. Um, <laughs> but Ethan rein it in. Um, Buffy oh comes in and uh, Jenny leaves. And she leaves by jumping through the glass. And this is a, like a – I swear I want to find it because it's like a shot by shot from one of the Freddy Kruegers mm. where he jumps through the glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the last thing – is the door shot. This is later, and we'll, you know, don't worry, we'll come back. But the door shot when we're back at Ethan Rain's costume shop, and it's Buffy and Ethan, and the shadow of Jenny Calendar, the mm-hmm. way that it's lit behind her, mm-hmm. she's very, very tall and long, and then yeah, as yeah. she gets to the door, it gets short, shorter and shorter. That is an iconic iconic piece of Nightmare on Elm Street for the very first one there's a scene where his shadow is so long Mm -hmm. down the alleyway and then it gets closer so it is I mean I was just thrilled by (laughs) I was really excited because you know I mean I think a lot of the parallels that I've talked about before have been legitimate parallels but this I was like are you kidding me this is like shot for shot here um really pulled a lot from from Nightmare on Elm Street so Mm -hmm. I'm excited I always get excited when I can talk (laughs) about Freddy Krueger okay so after Jenny Calendar slash Igon jumps out the window, Buffy and Giles sit down and they have a chat. And Giles tells Buffy what's going on and why. Yes. And he describes for her the the ritual of passing out and being possessed by a demon that he and his friends used to do. Yes. Ethan and I discovered it, is what he says. Ethan and I discovered we it. We were making out and then and, we figured right. out. That, and he yeah. says that the high was extraordinary. Drugs. Mm-hmm. Drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever have your friends, um, make you pass out? Uh, no, but I have friends who, like, I didn't do that, but my, my best friend before we became best friends had like, you know, his, his previous circle of his previous circle, his previous circle of good friends would, um, always do this. They would have like make each other pass out. Um, and they actually would tape it because it was the 90s. <laughs> so <gasps> everyone says. had a fucking camcorder. Um, and so they would tape it. That was like part of it. And it wasn't like saying it now, it sounds like it was sexual. It wasn't at all. Like it right, was right. just like a, 
you know, you don't have access to drugs, so here's another fun, insane thing you should never do. Yeah, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. No, no, no. No, I never did that. Um, but Me I did, neither. I did know people who did. Same. Yeah. So be like Jenny and Kristen. Don't make yourself pass out. Yeah. For God's sake. Um, there's there's plenty of other things to do in this world. Um, so Giles is pretty stressed out because he doesn't know how to get rid of Igon without killing Jenny. Yes. And Buffy yes. is like, I've got the guys working on it. Uh, yeah. And this is just another underline in this role reversal that we talked about where Giles is a mess. Giles is a hot mess this mm-hmm. whole episode for so many reasons and, um, you know, has kept a secret has tried to push Buffy away. It's all the things that Buffy has done to Giles so many times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, right, and then we're, something I skipped over that, of course, we're going to come back to is Buffy and Ethan again. And they're <laughs> planting more seeds for their spinoff uh, show. Right, right, right. Uh, and Ethan has this comment to Buffy, like, where she's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to run. I'm going to fight this thing. And Ethan's like, aren't we manly? <laughs> and then Buffy says, well, one of us is, which is a zing. Because Buffy's on, Buffy's on my page. Buffy's trying to be like, I know you have a crush on on uh, on Giles, but in the '90s, the way she said that was by saying you're not manly, which is rude, Buffy. Really, I thought she was just saying no, one of us wasn't. is manly because I'm gonna fight this thing and you're just trying to run away. No, she was. I just I just want to wow. lay everything into my wow. own narrative. Wow, this Kristen. episode is just Kristen writing fan fiction live on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and in my so, fan fiction, Buffy is homophobic. <laughs> no. No, no, no. She's not. She's not. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's so, fine. So what I don't buy is Buffy's spidey sense not going off when Ethan's like, after you. Yeah, same. I she Buffy trusts Ethan a little too yeah, much, that was a, little a little too, too quickly. Convenient. But also I think there might be something emotionally going on for her because Giles has like really shut the door literally and figuratively on their relationship and she knows that Ethan and Giles were friends. So I think that that I think that that might play into this situation. I really do. Um, So Ethan gives Buffy a tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) This whole thing is just bananas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gives her a tattoo. Meanwhile, Cordelia and Xander almost come to blows in the library and then Sergeant Rosenberg is all like, Get in line! Yeah, and this is this uh, was in line for my uh, second runner-up for sexual tension. Wow. This is a sexual tension moment between Xander and Cordelia. Yeah, all that hate flying around. Where Xander's like, I know you're a girl, but I'm ready to throw down. And she, like, beautifully saunters across the library. <laughs> and she is like, I've seen you fight. I can take you. And then, as you said, Willow is like, ah! <laughs> How romantic. If you if you keep this up, you can get out of my library as yeah. well. says. <laughs> um, then we see Giles was sleeping on the floor. Oh, right. And Ethan Rain pours acid on himself. Right. We assume that's acid. Yeah. Also, ow. Also, another tattoo. question. Mm-hmm. If you pour acid on yourself, does it really get rid of a tattoo? Ooh. Wait. I didn't just ask that. Don't do any research. That's a, probably a horrible thing to Google. Yeah. Do you know that I learned this week that um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was the first television series to ever use the phrase, I Googled it? You know what's weird? You said you learned that today. Because mm-hmm. I feel like about a month ago, mm-hmm. we had the same conversation where you were like, do you know what I learned today? No. Mm-hmm. Somebody tweeted at me yesterday. Mm-hmm. But you know how sometimes you learn Did I say it on the podcast? <laughs> Is there evidence? Okay. I put the question to our okay. lovely They'll audience. let me know if I'm repeating myself. I am like a goldfish. I do forget things <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so what do you think in these Giles dreams is the person with the like Bono glasses who's like, time to sleep? Do you think that's Giles? Do you think that's 
Ethan? Do you think that's Philip Henry? Do you think that's that other guy? I whose think it's name the other got, guy. Got I don't, yeah, I didn't identify that rose-colored glasses person to be any of them. I was very confused about the dreams. The dreams were weird to me. I didn't feel that the dreams had a necessary, um, like, I didn't feel like they had a purpose in the arc. I feel I feel like they developed over the three times that we we saw them, and they, like, gave us a window into something that we didn't have a full handle on before. You know, like, they it sort of seeded information each time. Yeah, I guess I just would have preferred a flashback. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I would have loved, I would have loved to see young Giles, who, by the way, we get to see in that picture. Oh, my God. Tiny Giles. Um, but I would have loved to see them, like, interacting more. I just didn't get very much from the dream sequences except for, like, oh, things are spooky. But they right, were, right. it seemed like it was, we were supposed to gather that, that, Giles was learning things from the dreams because he had a dream and he realized like Buffy was in trouble. Like, you know, I don't know. I was confused. Really? No. The last one, I feel like he just like, she told him to stay put because he was all fucked up. And then he woke up. And was concerned about her just yeah. period. And yeah. And like knew- more mobile than when he had passed out. Okay. And knew that his boyfriend would be back at his costume shop. Oh, yeah. Great. So Willow has a- The best idea. Uh, the most incredible idea. She's like, Angel's dead, and Angel has a demon inside of him that's str- probably stronger than Igon, which that's going to take, by the way, kind of took a risk there, guys. Yeah, that could have ended badly. Could have ended really badly. Um, but but yeah, so we we go to the costume shop, and there's a, another fight scene. and <laughs> Most of it internal. Angel grabs Jenny by the throat, and Giles has a moment of panic. He's going to kill her. Willow says, trust me. And then... And then Igon enters Angel's body, and we see a wonderful wibble wobble effect Such, come over his face. The same wibble wobble that we saw in the in the in the masters. Oh yeah, it's the same filter. They were like, ah, right. just use that wibble yeah, wobble wobble. Yeah, yeah. Just put that over Angel's face. <laughs> and uh, and internally, Angel triumphs mm-hmm. and uh, then falls down. Yeah. And um, Jenny and Giles walk out. We and we think. I think you know. We think. Okay. Well, they're gonna be still in love. But no, because PTS <sighs> Jenny. Yeah, because she's so traumatized. I mean, she was possessed for quite some time. She's exhausted, yeah. and she doesn't want Giles to touch her. It's really sad. Yeah. I have. She looks like she has not been sleeping. Wow. Kristen drew, uh, Jenny and Giles, and then a broken heart in, in the between. middle. I was really sad. For them, and right above that, I wrote "nice neckerchief, Buffy." Uh, Buffy's, <laughs> Buffy's rocking a neckerchief once again. I had that tattoo. And then Buffy and Giles, right at the end here, they have so this beautiful. conversation. Jenny, you could talk about it. I know they don't really got you. It's just like this reversal, and Buffy's all like, "You should forgive yourself, regardless of whether Jenny forgives you or not." And then she's like, "Hey, check it out. You were a short-sighted idiot." Guess we have something in common after Aww. all, which is nice. Such a good moment. They have certainly bonded. They've bonded way more than Joyce and Buffy have bonded at this point. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're yeah. like, where is Joyce? Oh, she's at the gallery, Joyce I guess. Joyce is so busy. Uh, <laughs> she's Joyce got an opening coming so up this weekend. <laughs> she's probably going on like a date, you know? I don't know. No, just working. Just working hard she, for yeah, her she's money. She's a busy lady. She is. She's very busy. Um, uh, and, then, and then we learned that Giles uh, does like music. He just prefers music by the Bay City Rollers. Wow. And Which, um, yeah. we'll see what happens, but I think we're going to take a little inspiration from that fact for our song this week. We're going to try. We're going to try. We'll see how we do. Also, 
I think we're supposed to be training right now, Buffy says, as the completely full high school is uh, walked through by many, many students on their way to and from class, Mm -hmm. uh, implying that Buffy doesn't just train in the library after hours, as she was at the beginning of the episode, but she also just does it in the middle of school. In her free periods, Because, as we know, no one ever goes to the library at Sunnydale High School. No, no one. No one ever. For any reason. No. They don't need books. They got... They don't have anything. I was going to say, they've got cell phones. They don't. They don't have anything. They, they're just good. They're good. Maybe they brought, like, crossword puzzles with Ooh. them or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, great episode. Loved it. So exciting to get to talk to Stuart. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that does it for this week. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm. I am Jenny Owen Youngs. And when I'm not watching Buffy... I write songs, make records. You can learn more about me and hear some of those songs at jennyowenyoungs.com slash buffering. And you can give me a shout on Twitter at jennyowenyoungs. And I am Kristen Russo. And you can follow me over on Twitter at Kristen Nolene. Uh, and, you know, I usually point you over to um, Everyone is Gay and My Kid is Gay. And you should certainly check those sites out. Those are those are um, some of the places where I do work with LGBTQ youth. But I'm going to start pointing you over to my website, which is also kristennolene.com. For those of you who thought I wasn't going to spell my name, you were mistaken. I was just getting through that. It is K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E on Twitter, and that is my website where you can find out all about the other things that I do in my life. As we mentioned earlier, we've got a Buffy watch on March 10th, and you can find out information about that event and all our upcoming events as a duo or that we might be doing individually by visiting bufferingthevampireslayer.com and clicking on events. Follow us on Twitter at BufferingCast or drop us an email at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. Also, to support our work, you can go on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash BufferingCast. We are so excited that we just met our first goal. Thank you so much for helping us get there and so quickly. Um, We would love to see even more of you come on over there. It helps us do what we do. And we have a big, fun announcement this week. Our merch store, which you may already know about, has two brand new items in it. We have a shirt that says, Just Keep Fighting from the last song that we wrote for season one, uh, Prophecy Girl. It's pretty awesome. It was designed by Allison Weiss. And we also have a shirt that says, Smash the Demon Lizard Patriarchy, taken from our live episode (laughs) uh, for Reptile Boy and designed by Isabella Rotman. We are so flipping excited about these shirts. We like could not wait to get them on our own bodies. Uh, You can go on over to our website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com and click on store and see that. Plus, of course, our Buffering the Vampire Slayer t-shirt designed by Christine Tuna, uh, as well as our Slayerat and Cordat pins designed by Kate Leth. Leave us a review on iTunes or subscribe. That helps other people find our podcast. It's a big help to us. One last thing before we get to this wonderful song. March 10th, as you know, is the 20th anniversary of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And if you are not already subscribed to our podcast, now would be probably a good time because like maybe, I don't know, but maybe we'll just have something special coming your way on Friday and you probably wouldn't want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. Never knew that you got into passing out for demon ritual when you were close.
this episode on Tuesday, but it goes up on Wednesday. And this Wednesday is March 8th, International Women's Day, and also um, a day without a woman, a day when many women are taking the day off of work, staying home from work to make a statement about what this world would be like without a woman. However, many women also can't do that. Uh, Many women have to go to work and many of them are going to be wearing red. So we just wanted to say that we stand in solidarity with all of you participating. And I just want to close with um, a tweet from an activist that we follow, Brittany Packnett, uh, because I think it really sums up what today is about. She says, I'm hoping tomorrow is not a day where we judge women for their choice to not work or their need to. This is a day of empowerment. Whether you see a woman not working or a woman wearing red or a woman doing neither, think about what we go through to need this day at all. Once upon a time, there was a girl who dreamed of flying through the stars who dared to resist injustice, who lived to a beat and a rhythm that was all her own. Her name was Chloe, Frida, Oprah, Celia Cruz, Josephine, Greta, Ruth, Alice. One day, she wondered, could today be the beginning of something new? This was her one opportunity to do something, something big. So that's exactly what she did. Along the way, she discovered that she wasn't alone. Her body felt strong, her mind sharp. She was prepared to work as hard as it took. Her words were making a real change, and she felt powerful. I'm Gail King. I'm Andrea Day. I'm Diane Gibbons. I'm Lindsay Vaughn. I'm Jamila Jamal. I'm Anita Hill. I'm Brenda Chapman. I'm Alana Glazer. And this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio.